0: Welcome to another in-depth exploration of Biblical Missionaries, written by Borge Schentz, edited for audio and produced by The Ambassador Group. Exploration 9 Peter and the Gentiles
1: Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, the New King James Version. Peter was the first apostle to proclaim salvation to the Gentiles. He continued to provide leadership in the church for a number of years after its foundation, even after Paul became the missionary to the Gentiles par excellence. Peter, together with Paul, helped the early church and its leadership, mostly Jews, understand the universality of the Great Commission. Peter worked to bring about an integrated church, uniting Gentile converts, who were unaware of the finer points of Jewish culture, and Jewish converts whose customs tended to take on the character of divine absolutes. Like all pioneer missionaries, Peter had to discriminate between unchangeable divine absolutes and those practices that are cultural and relative and of no important consequence in the life of the believer, whether Jew or Gentile. Thus it was Peter who at the Jerusalem council declared of the Gentiles that God put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Acts 15.9 And who helped work through the issues that threatened the early church's unity. Jesus' last words before his ascension were of a missionary nature. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts eight. Here again, we see the mandate to spread the gospel into all the world. Only ten days later, This calling started to unfold with Peter playing a key role. Acts chapter two verses five to 21 tell us more. As you listen, compile details to answer this question. How does this event show God's intent for the gospel to go worldwide and the role that the Jews were to have in that proclamation? Now there were then residing in Jerusalem Jews, devout and God-fearing men from every country under heaven. And when this sound was heard, the multitude came together, and they were astonished and bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in his own particular dialect. And they were beside themselves with amazement, saying, Are not all these who are talking Galileans? Then how is it that we hear each of us in our own particular dialect to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and the province of Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the transient residents from Rome, both Jews and the proselytes to Judaism from other religions, Cretans and Arabians too, we all hear them speaking in our own native tongues and telling of the mighty works of God. And all were beside themselves with amazement and were puzzled and bewildered, saying one to another, What can this mean? But others made a joke of it, and derisively said, They are simply drunk, and full of sweet intoxicating wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, You Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be explained to you so that you will know and understand. Listen closely to what I have to say. For these men are not drunk as you imagine for it is only the third hour, about nine o'clock in the morning. But instead, this is the beginning of what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days God declares that I will pour out of my Spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels, and your young men shall see visions, Divinely granted appearances, and your old men shall dream divinely suggested dreams. Yes, and on my men servants also, and on my maid servants in those days, I will pour out of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels, and predicting future events, pertaining especially to God's kingdom. And I will show wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoking vapor. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the obvious day of the Lord comes, that great and notable and conspicuous and renowned day. And it shall be that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, invoking, adoring, and worshiping the Lord Christ, shall be saved. The Great Commission found its first fulfillment on the day of Pentecost. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit had as its aim the evangelization of the world. This initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit gave great results on the day of Pentecost. This was, however, only a foretaste of much greater results to come in the years that followed. Peter's sermon contained a few main points that remain relevant even today. First, Old Testament prophecies and promises are fulfilled in Christ. We have just heard this. But let's listen again to Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 21. This time, listening for the prophecies and promises. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God declares, that I will pour out of my Spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels, and your young men shall see visions, divinely granted appearances, and your old men shall dream divinely suggested dreams. Yes, and on my men-servants also, and on my maid-servants in those days, I will pour out of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, telling forth the divine counsels and predicting future events pertaining especially to God's kingdom and I will show wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoking vapor. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the obvious day of the Lord comes, that great and notable and conspicuous and renowned day. And here comes the promise in verse 21, And it shall be that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, invoking, adoring, and worshiping the Lord Christ, shall be saved. Did you hear the words, will and shall? A truth revealed through the powerful works and signs accompanying Jesus' ministry, as well as through his death and resurrection spoken about by Peter, and reported in verses 22-24, to 24, which say, You men of Israel, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited, and pointed out, and shown forth, and commended, and attested to you by God, by the mighty works, and the power of performing wonders and signs, which God worked through him right in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus, when delivered up according to the definite and fixed purpose and settled plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and put out of the way, killing him by the hands of lawless and wicked men. But God raised him up, liberating him from the pangs of death, seeing that it was not possible for him to continue to be controlled or retained by it. Second, Jesus was exalted, placed at God's right hand, and is now Christ the Messiah and Lord of all. Verses 33-36, to 36, which say, Being therefore lifted high by and to the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promised blessing, which is the Holy Spirit, he has made this outpouring, which you yourselves both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, yet he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, and share my throne, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let the whole house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt and acknowledge assuredly that God has made him both Lord and Christ the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. In him all who repent and are baptized will receive forgiveness for sins. As verses 38 and 39 say, And Peter answered them, Repent, change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves, instead of rejecting it, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of and release from your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of the Holy Spirit is to and for you and your children, and to and for all that are far away, even to and for as many as the Lord our God invites and bids to come to himself. Here we see the active and vocal disciple Peter standing up for his belief in Jesus. He was called by Jesus to be a strong leader in the church's earliest days, although less cosmopolitan, efficient, and adaptable to other cultures and religions than was the Apostle Paul. In comparison, Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 to 14 gives us a composite snapshot of the Apostle Paul's capabilities as a leader. And being a leader often involves confrontation. In this passage of Scripture, we hear of a confrontation with Peter. Paul says, But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I protested and opposed him to his face concerning his conduct there. For up to the time that certain persons came from James, he ate his meals with the Gentile converts. But when the men from Jerusalem arrived, he withdrew and held himself aloof from the Gentiles, and ate separately for fear of those of the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews along with him also concealed their true convictions, and acted insincerely, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy, their example of insincerity and pretense. And as soon as I saw that they were not straightforward and were not living up to the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before everybody present, if you, though born a Jew, can live as you have been living, like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how do you dare now to urge and practically force the Gentiles to comply with the ritual of Judaism and live like Jews? Although less cosmopolitan, efficient, and adaptable to other cultures and religions than was the Apostle Paul, Peter opened the way for the gospel to go to about 15 nations as he preached to diaspora Jews in Jerusalem. In this way, he used a very important bridge to bring the good news to the Middle Eastern world of his time. What does the story of Pentecost reveal about your need of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listening friend, what choices can you make in order to be more attuned to the Holy Spirit's leading?
0: The Conversion of Cornelius Part 1
1: Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8, and verses 23 to 48, tell us the experience of Cornelius. What does the story of this Gentile becoming a follower of Jesus teach us about salvation and witness? Now living at Caesarea, there was a man whose name was Cornelius, a centurion, captain of what was known as the Italian Regiment a devout man who venerated God and treated him with reverential obedience, as did all his household. And he gave much alms to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour, or about 3 p.m. of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God entering and saying to him, Cornelius. And he, gazing intently at him, became frightened, and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your generous gifts to the poor have come up as a sacrifice to God, and have been remembered by him. And now send men to Joppa, and have them call for, and invite here a certain Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. When the angel who spoke to him had left, Cornelius called two of his servants and a God-fearing soldier from among his own personal attendants, and having rehearsed everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And now we jump to verses 23 to 48. So Peter invited them in to be his guests for the night. The next day he arose and went away with them and some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for and expecting them, and he had invited together his relatives and his intimate friends. As Peter arrived, Cornelius met him, and falling down at his feet, he made obeisance, and paid worshipful reverence to him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Get up, I myself am also a man. And as Peter spoke with him, he entered the house and found a large group of persons assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves are aware how it is not lawful or permissible for a Jew to keep company with or to visit or even to come near or to speak first to anyone of another nationality, but God has shown and taught me by words that I should not call any human being common or unhallowed or ceremonially unclean. Therefore when I was sent for, I came without hesitation or objection or misgivings. So now I ask for what reason you sent for me? And Cornelius said, This is now the fourth day since about this time I was observing the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, of prayer in my lodging place. Suddenly a man stood before me in dazzling apparel, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and hearkened to, and your donations to the poor have been known and preserved before God, so that he heeds and is about to help you. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is surnamed Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon the tanner by the seaside. So at once I sent for you, and you, being a Jew, have done a kind and courteous and handsome thing in coming. Now then, we are all present in the sight of God to listen to all that you have been instructed by the Lord to say. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Most certainly and thoroughly I now perceive and understand that God shows no partiality and is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he who venerates and has a reverential fear for God, treating him with worshipful obedience and living uprightly is acceptable to him and sure of being received and welcomed by him. You know the contents of the message which he sent to Israel, announcing the good news, gospel of peace by Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The same message which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism preached by John. How God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power how he went about doing good, and in particular, curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. And we are eye and ear witnesses of everything that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and yet they put him out of the way, murdered him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him to life on the third day and caused him to be manifest, to be plainly seen, not by all the people, but to us who were chosen or designated beforehand by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he charged us to preach to the people and to bear solemn testimony that he is the God-appointed and God-ordained judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets testify or bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who adheres to or trusts in and relies on him, giving himself up to him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who came with Peter, were surprised and amazed, because the free gift of the Holy Spirit had been bestowed and poured out largely even on the Gentiles. For they heard them talking in unknown tongues, or languages, and extolling and magnifying God. Then Peter asked, Can anyone forbid or refuse water for baptizing these people, seeing that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Then they begged him to stay on there for some days. The conversion of Cornelius, a pagan officer in the Roman army, along with his family and friends, has been termed the Gentile Pentecost. It is a crucial story in Acts, one that addresses the most divisive issue facing the early church. Can a Gentile become a Christian without first becoming a Jew? The Roman army's headquarters for all of Judea, including Jerusalem, was Caesarea. Cornelius would have been one of six centurions commanding the 600 soldiers that made up the Italian cohort based there. His name indicated his descent from an illustrious Roman military family that had earlier produced the commander who had defeated Hannibal, a Carthaginian general who wreaked havoc against Rome for years. More important, Cornelius was a God-fearing man who enjoyed spiritual fellowship with his family, prayed regularly, and was generous to those who were needy. God heard his prayers and sent an angel with a special message to him.
0: Believing in God as the Creator of heaven and earth, Cornelius revered him, acknowledged his authority, and sought his counsel in all the affairs of life. He was faithful to Jehovah in his home life and in his official duties. He had erected the altar of God in his home, for he dared not attempt to carry out his plans or to bear his responsibilities without the help of God.
1: Ellen G. White is the author of the book entitled The Acts of the Apostles. That character sketch of Cornelius is found on page 133. Notice, too, what happened when Cornelius finally met Peter. He bowed down and worshipped him, an act that must have appalled Peter. Thus, what can we see is that this Gentile, favored by God, a devout man, still had a lot of truth to learn, even at the most basic level. No doubt, though, he was about to learn it. What are some of the traits of Cornelius, even in his ignorance, that you would like to follow in your spiritual life?
0: Version of Cornelius, Part Two.
1: Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. Acts ten thirty four and thirty five, the New International Version. Though these words to us are not that revolutionary, For them to have come from the mouth of Peter was an astonishing confession. We have to remember who Peter was, where he came from, and the attitudes that he had and still struggled with. For example, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2 verses 11 to 16 portrays Peter as a religious chameleon whose actions were worthy of being condemned. At first, you will hear those sentiments, but keep listening. Paul shares additional teaching about salvation, and he makes it personal. Listen again to these scriptures in the New Living Translation. Paul confronts Peter. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws under living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. As we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. No doubt, though, his experience with Cornelius helped him see even more clearly the error of his ways and helped him get a better picture of what God had intended to do with the gospel message. What had the angel said to Cornelius about Peter that impressed Cornelius to act immediately? The angel had told him, Peter will give and explain to you a message by means of which you and all your household as well will be saved from eternal death. What did Cornelius say to Peter that showed that he understood that following the Lord also meant obeying him? Listen to Acts chapter 10 verse 33. Cornelius is speaking to Peter. So at once I sent for you, and you being a Jew have done a kind and courteous thing in coming. Now then, we're all present in the sight of God to listen to all that you have been instructed by the Lord to say. What does Acts 11:14 say that shows us the need to spread the gospel? even to such a godly man as Cornelius. Listen again, substituting yourself in the place of the reference to Peter. Verse 14, He will give and explain to you a message by means of which you and all your household as well will be saved from eternal death. Let's add three more verses. How does Romans chapter 2 Verses 14, 15, and 16 help us to understand how, although having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, Cornelius was worshiping God prior to his visit by the angel. When Gentiles who have not the divine law do instinctively what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, since they do not have the law they show that the essential requirements of the law are written in their hearts and are operating there, with which their consciences, sense of right and wrong, also bear witness. And their moral decisions, their arguments of reason, their condemning or approving thoughts, will accuse or perhaps defend and excuse them. On that day, when, as my gospel proclaims, God, by Jesus Christ, will judge men in regard to the things which they conceal, their hidden thoughts. As we have heard, Cornelius was a Gentile who feared God, Acts chapter 10, verse 2, though he still had a lot to learn, don't we all? Nevertheless, his fasting, his praying, and his giving of alms all revealed a heart open to the Lord. And thus, when the time was right, God worked miraculously in his life. An important point to remember in this account is how, though an angel appeared to him, the angel didn't preach the gospel to him. Instead, the angel opened the way for Cornelius to meet Peter, who then told him about Jesus. And Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 44 tells us how he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Most certainly and thoroughly I now perceive and understand that God shows no partiality and is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he who venerates and has a reverential fear for God, treating him with worshipful obedience and living uprightly is acceptable to him and sure of being received and welcomed by him. You know the contents of the message which he sent to Israel, announcing the good news gospel of peace by Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The same message, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism preached by John, how God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power, how he went about doing good and in particular curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. And we are eye and ear, witnesses of everything that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And yet they put him out of the way, murdered him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him to life on the third day and caused him to be manifest, to be plainly seen, not by all the people, but to us who were chosen or designated beforehand by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he charged us to preach to the people and to bear solemn testimony that he is the God-appointed and the God-ordained judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets testify or bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who adheres to, trusts in, and relies on him, giving himself up to him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, The Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. This is an example of how the Lord uses humans as his messengers to the world. Are you one of God's willing messengers today? Acts chapter 10, verses 44 and 45 say, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. And the believers from among the circumcised, or the Jews, who came with Peter were surprised and amazed, because the free gift of the Holy Spirit had been bestowed and poured out largely even on the Gentiles by the time Peter made contact with Cornelius, he had a change in attitude regarding the Gentiles that other Jewish believers had not yet understood what happened that changed Peter. listen to Acts chapter ten verses nine to twenty two and acts eleven one to ten. What do the passages say about how entrenched Peter's wrong attitudes were that it took something like this to open his mind? Here is what Acts chapter 10 verses 9 to 22 say: The next day, as they were still on their way and were approaching the town, Peter went up to the roof of the house to pray about the sixth hour or about noon, but he became very hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, a trance came over him, and he saw the sky opened, and something like a great sheet, lowered by the four corners, descending to the earth. It contained all kinds of quadrupeds, and wild beasts, and creeping things of the earth, and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, saying, Rise up, Peter! Kill and eat! But Peter said, No, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common and unhallowed or ceremonially unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has cleansed and pronounced clean, do not you defile and profane by regarding and calling common and unhallowed or unclean. This occurred three times. Then immediately the sheet was taken up to heaven. Now Peter was still inwardly perplexed and doubted as to what the vision which he had seen could mean, when just then, behold, the messengers that were sent by Cornelius, who had made inquiry for Simon's house, stopped and stood before the gate, and they called out to inquire, whether Simon, who was surnamed Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was earnestly revolving the vision in his mind and meditating on it, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Get up and go below and accompany them without any doubt about its legality or any discrimination or hesitation, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men and said, I am the man you seek. What is the purpose of your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion captain, who is just and upright and in right standing with God, being God-fearing and obedient and well-spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, has been instructed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house. And he has received in answer to prayer a warning to listen to and act upon what you have to say. And now, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Now the apostles, special messengers, and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard with astonishment that the Gentiles, or the heathen, also had received and accepted and welcomed the word of God the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation in the kingdom of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, certain Jewish Christians found fault with him, separating themselves from him in a hostile spirit, opposing and disputing and contending with him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and even eat with them? But Peter began at the beginning and narrated and explained to them step by step the whole list of events. He said, I was in the town of Joppa praying and falling in a trance. I saw a vision of something coming down from heaven, like a huge sheet lowered by the four corners, and it descended until it came to me. Gazing intently and closely at it, I observed in it a variety of four-footed animals, and wild beasts, and reptiles of the earth, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, No, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unhallowed or ceremonially unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has cleansed and pronounced clean, do not you defile and profane by regarding or calling it common or unhallowed or unclean. This occurred three times, and then all was drawn up again into heaven. Also, Peter stayed in Joppa with a tanner. We have two references in the book of Acts. The first reference, Acts chapter 9, verse 43, confirms that fact. And Peter remained in Joppa for considerable time with a certain Simon, a tanner. Our second reference is Acts chapter 10, verses 6 and 32. Verse 6, speaking of Peter, says, He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Verse 32 says, Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is surnamed Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon the Tanner by the seaside. Peter associating and lodging with a Tanner is a detail that we don't want to miss. Tanning and Tanners were repulsive to the Jews, since they handled dead bodies and used excreta in their processes tanneries were not allowed in towns. Note that Simon's was located by the seaside, as we have heard in Acts 10, verses 6 and 32. Peter's stay with a tanner indicated that already, before his vision, he realized that some of his previous attitudes were at cross-purposes with the gospel. Both Peter and the family of Cornelius needed to shed some cultural baggage In Peter's case, all people, represented by all kinds of animals, in Peter's vision, are God's children. Peter's call to witness to Cornelius implied that although all people are acceptable to God, not all religions are equally acceptable. Cornelius was already a religious man, like nearly everyone else in ancient society. As a soldier, he would be acquainted with the worship of Mithra, and as an officer, he would have taken part in emperor worship. But these activities were not acceptable to God. There is a lesson here for those who approach non-Christian religions on the basis of equality with Christianity. Although sometimes it is done in a spirit of political correctness, such an attitude leads to a watering down of the biblical claims of Christian uniqueness and finality. How do we show respect for people whose faith we believe is wrong without giving the impression that we respect those beliefs ourselves? What is the difference between respecting people as opposed to respecting their beliefs
0: The Jerusalem decree.
1: But if some of the branches were broken off while you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among them to share the richness of the root and sap of the olive tree. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. Early success of the mission to the Gentiles raised some crucial questions for the early church regarding what requirements should be expected of Gentile converts those grafted into the faith. Tensions always appear when people from other religions and cultures join an established believing community. In this case, Jewish Christians, with their high regard for the requirements of the Old Testament laws and rituals, assumed that Gentile converts would accept and obey these laws and rituals. The main focus was circumcision, the fundamental indication of entry into the Jewish community for males, symbolizing compliance with all the requirements of Judaism. Should Gentile converts to Christianity be required to undergo circumcision? Some Jewish Christians in Judea certainly thought so and stated their conviction in stark theological language. To them, it was essential for salvation. What happened at the Jerusalem Council that helped settle this important issue? Let's find the answers by listening to Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 35. But some men came down from Judea and were instructing the brethren, Unless you are circumcised in accordance with the Mosaic custom, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had no small disagreement and discussion with them, it was decided that Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of their number should go up to Jerusalem and confer with the apostles or special messengers and the elders about this matter. So being fitted out and sent on their way by the church, they went through both Phoenicia and Samaria telling of the conversion of the Gentiles the heathen, and they caused great rejoicing among all the brethren. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were heartily welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they told them all that God had accomplished through them. But some who believed, who acknowledged Jesus as their Savior and devoted themselves to him, belonged to the sect of the Pharisees. And they rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise the Gentile converts and to charge them to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were assembled together to look into and consider this matter. And after there had been a long debate, Peter got up and said to them, Brethren, you know that quite a while ago God made a choice or selection from among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the message of the gospel concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation in the kingdom of God, and believe, credit, and place their confidence in it. And God, who is acquainted with and understands the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit as he also did to us. And he made no difference between us and them but cleanse their hearts by faith, by a strong and welcome conviction that Jesus is the Messiah, through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting a yoke on the necks of the disciples, such as neither our forefathers nor we ourselves were able to endure? But we believe that we are saved through the grace the undeserved favor and mercy of the Lord Jesus, just as they are. Then the whole assembly remained silent, and they listened attentively as Barnabas and Paul rehearsed what signs and wonders God had performed through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished talking, James replied, Brethren, listen to me. Simon Peter has rehearsed how God first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people to bear and honor his name. And with this, the predictions of the prophets agree, as it is written, after this I will come back and will rebuild the house of David which has fallen. I will rebuild its very ruins and I will set it up again so that the rest of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles, says the Lord, who has been making these things known from the beginning of the world. Therefore it is my opinion that we should not put obstacles in the way of and annoy and disturb those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should send word to them in writing to abstain from and avoid Anything that has been polluted by being offered to idols and all sexual impurity and eating meat of animals that have been strangled and tasting of blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had his preachers in every town, for he is read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders. Together with the whole church, resolved to select men from among their number and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, both leading men among the brethren, and sent them. With them they sent the following letter The brethren, both the apostles and the elders, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, and Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. As we have heard that some persons from our number have disturbed you with their teaching, unsettling your minds and throwing you into confusion, although we gave them no express orders or instructions on the points in question. It has been resolved by us in assembly to select men and send them as messengers to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have hazarded their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will bring you the same message by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to lay upon you any greater burden than these indispensable requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from tasting blood, and from eating the meat of animals that have been strangled, and from sexual impurity. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell, be strong. So when the messengers were sent off, they went down to Antioch, And having assembled the congregation, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, the people rejoiced at the consolation and encouragement it brought them. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, inspired interpreters of the will and purposes of God, urged and warned and consoled and encouraged the brethren with many words, and strengthened them. And after spending some time there, they were sent back by the brethren with the greeting, Peace, to those who had sent them. However, Silas decided to stay on there. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and with many others also continued teaching, and proclaiming the good news, the word of the Lord, concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in God's kingdom. Although the question of circumcision was the main reason for the Jerusalem Council, it dealt with a range of cultural practices that the Gospel did not require of its converts. The decree of the Council provided a common platform where Jewish and Gentile Christians could coexist in fellowship. Jewish core values were respected, but Gentiles were allowed to avoid circumcision. The council's decision was both practical and theological. It set a pattern for the church to deal with issues and problems before they became too divisive. Experienced missionaries learned to identify core Christian belief issues and to keep the focus on them as opposed to getting bogged down with things that are not essential to the faith. What lesson can we take away from the Jerusalem Council that could help the Church today as it deals with controversial issues? What did the early Church do that can serve as a model for us?
0: Let's continue exploring.
1: In her book entitled The Acts of the Apostles, Ellen G White wrote a chapter entitled Jew and Gentile. It is found on pages one hundred and eighty eight to two hundred. Again the book is entitled The Acts of the Apostles. This chapter in her book helps us understand what the real issues were in Acts chapter fifteen verses one through thirty five.
0: On reaching Antioch in Syria, from which place they had been sent forth on their mission, Paul and Barnabas took advantage of an early opportunity to assemble the believers and rehearse all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Acts 14, verse 27 The church at Antioch was a large and growing one, a center of missionary activity, it was one of the most important of the groups of Christian believers. Its membership was made up of many classes of people from among both Jews and Gentiles. While the apostles united with the ministers and lay members at Antioch in an earnest effort to win many souls to Christ, certain Jews, believers from Judea, of the sect of the Pharisees, succeeded in introducing a question that soon led to widespread controversy in the church and brought consternation to the believing Gentiles. With great assurance, these Judaizing teachers asserted that in order to be saved, one must be circumcised and must keep the entire ceremonial law. Paul and Barnabas met this false doctrine with promptness and opposed the introduction of the subject to the Gentiles. On the other hand, many of the believing Jews of Antioch favored the position of the brethren recently come from Judea. The Jewish converts generally were not inclined to move as rapidly as the providence of God opened the way. From the result of the apostles' labors among the Gentiles, It was evident that the converts among the latter people would far exceed the Jewish converts in number. The Jews feared that if the restrictions and ceremonies of their law were not made obligatory upon the Gentiles as a condition of church fellowship, the national peculiarities of the Jews, which had hitherto kept them distinct from all other people, would finally disappear from among those who received the gospel message. The Jews had always prided themselves upon their divinely appointed services, and many of those who had been converted to the faith of Christ still felt that since God had once clearly outlined the Hebrew manner of worship, it was improbable that He would ever authorize a change in any of its specifications. They insisted that the Jewish laws and ceremonies should be incorporated into the rites of the Christian religion. They were slow to discern that all the sacrificial offerings had but prefigured the death of the Son of God, in which type met anti type, and after which the rites and ceremonies of the Mosaic dispensation were no longer binding. Before his conversion, Paul had regarded himself as blameless, touching the righteousness which is in the law. Philippians 3, verse 6. But since his change of heart, he had gained a clear conception of the mission of the Savior as the Redeemer of the entire race, Gentile as well as Jew, and had learned the difference between a living faith and a dead formalism. In the light of the gospel, the ancient rites and ceremonies committed to Israel had gained a new and deeper significance. That which they shadowed forth had come to pass, and those who were living under the gospel dispensation had been freed from their observance. God's unchangeable law of ten commandments, however, Paul still kept in spirit as well as in letter. In the church at Antioch, the consideration of the question of circumcision resulted in much discussion and contention. Finally, the members of the church, fearing that a division among them would be the outcome of continued discussion, decided to send Paul and Barnabas, with some responsible men from the church, to Jerusalem to lay the matter before the apostles and elders. There, they were to meet delegates from the different churches and those who had come to Jerusalem to attend the approaching festivals. Meanwhile, all controversy was to cease until a final decision should be given in general council. This decision was then to be universally accepted by the different churches throughout the country. On the way to Jerusalem... The apostles visited the believers in the cities through which they passed, and encouraged them by relating their experience in the work of God and the conversion of the Gentiles. At Jerusalem, the delegates from Antioch met the brethren of the various churches, who had gathered for a general meeting, and to them they related the success that had attended their ministry among the Gentiles. They then gave a clear outline of the confusion that had resulted because certain converted Pharisees had gone to Antioch, declaring that, In order to be saved, the Gentile converts must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. This question was warmly discussed in the assembly. Intimately connected with the question of circumcision WERE SEVERAL OTHERS DEMANDING CAREFUL STUDY. ONE WAS THE PROBLEM AS TO WHAT ATTITUDE SHOULD BE TAKEN TOWARD THE USE OF MEATS OFFERED TO IDOLS. MANY OF THE GENTILE CONVERTS WERE LIVING AMONG IGNORANT AND SUPERSTITIOUS PEOPLE. MANY OF THE GENTILE CONVERTS WERE LIVING AMONG IGNORANT AND SUPERSTITIOUS PEOPLE WHO MADE FREQUENT SACRIFICES AND OFFERINGS TO IDOLS. The priests of this heathen worship carried on an extensive merchandise with the offerings brought to them, and the Jews feared that the Gentile converts would bring Christianity into disrepute by purchasing that which had been offered to idols, thereby sanctioning in some measure idolatrous customs. Again, The Gentiles were accustomed to eat the flesh of animals that had been strangled, while the Jews had been divinely instructed that when beasts were killed for food, particular care was to be taken that the blood should flow from the body. Otherwise, the meat would not be regarded as wholesome. God had given these injunctions to the Jews for the purpose of preserving their health. The Jews regarded it as sinful to use blood as an article of diet. They held that the blood was the life, and that the shedding of blood was in consequence of sin. The Gentiles, on the contrary, practiced catching the blood that flowed from the sacrificial victim and using it in the preparation of food. The Jews could not believe that they ought to change the customs they had adopted under the special direction of God. Therefore, as things then stood, if Jew and Gentile should attempt to eat at the same table, the former would be shocked and outraged by the latter. The Gentiles, and especially the Greeks, were extremely licentious, and there was danger that some, unconverted in heart, would make a profession of faith without renouncing their evil practices. The Jewish Christians could not tolerate the immorality that was not even regarded as criminal by the heathen. The Jews, therefore, held it as highly proper that circumcision and the observance of the ceremonial law should be enjoined on the Gentile converts as a test of their sincerity and devotion. This, they believed would prevent the addition to the Church of those who, adopting the faith without true conversion of heart, might afterward bring reproach upon the cause by immorality and excess. The various points involved in the settlement of the main question at issue seemed to present before the Council insurmountable difficulties, but the Holy Spirit had, in reality, already settled this question, upon the decision of which seemed to depend the prosperity, if not the very existence, of the Christian church. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He reasoned that the Holy Spirit had decided the matter under dispute by descending with equal power upon the uncircumcised Gentiles and the circumcised Jews. He recounted his vision, in which God had presented before him a sheet filled with all manner of four-footed beasts, and had bidden him kill and eat. When he refused, affirming that he had never eaten that which was common or unclean, the answer had been, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Acts 10.15 Peter related the plain interpretation of these words, which was given him almost immediately in his summons to go to the centurion and instruct him in the faith of Christ. This message showed that God was no respecter of persons, but accepted and acknowledged all who feared him. Peter told of his astonishment when, in speaking the words of truth to those assembled at the home of Cornelius, he witnessed the Holy Spirit taking possession of his hearers, Gentiles as well as Jews. The same light and glory that was reflected upon the circumcised Jews shone also upon the faces of the uncircumcised Gentiles. This was God's warning, that Peter was not to regard one as inferior to the other, for the blood of Christ could cleanse from all uncleanness. Once before, Peter had reasoned with his brethren concerning the conversion of Cornelius and his friends, and his fellowship with them. As he on that occasion related how the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, he declared, for as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I, that I could withstand God? Acts eleven seventeen. Now, with equal fervor and force, he said, God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? This yoke was not the law of Ten Commandments, as some who oppose the binding claims of the law assert. Peter here referred to the law of ceremonies, which was made null and void by the crucifixion of Christ. Peter's address brought the assembly to a point where they could listen with patience to Paul and Barnabas, who related their experience in working for the Gentiles. All the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. James also bore his testimony with decision, declaring that it was God's purpose to bestow upon the Gentiles the same privileges and blessings that had been granted to the Jews. The Holy Spirit saw good not to impose a ceremonial law on the Gentile converts, and the mind of the apostles regarding this matter was as the mind of the Spirit of God. James presided at the council and his final decision was, Wherefore my sentence is, that we trouble not them, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. This ended the discussion. In this instance, we have a refutation of the doctrine held by the Roman Catholic Church that Peter was the head of the Church. Those who, as popes, have claimed to be his successors have no scriptural foundation for their pretensions. Nothing in the life of Peter gives sanction to the claim that he was elevated above his brethren as the vicegerent of the Most High. If those who are declared to be the successors of Peter had followed his example, they would always have been content to remain on an equality with their brethren. In this instance, James seems to have been chosen as the one to announce the decision arrived at by the council. It was his sentence that the ceremonial law, and especially the ordinance of circumcision, should not be urged upon the Gentiles or even recommended to them. James sought to impress the minds of his brethren with the fact that, in turning to God, The Gentiles had made a great change in their lives, and that much caution should be used not to trouble them with perplexing and doubtful questions of minor importance, lest they be discouraged in following Christ. The Gentile converts, however, were to give up the customs that were inconsistent with the principles of Christianity. The apostles and elders, therefore, agreed to instruct the Gentiles by letter to abstain from meats offered to idols, from fornication, from things strangled, and from blood. They were to be urged to keep the commandments and to lead holy lives. They were also to be assured that the men who had declared circumcision to be binding were not authorized to do so by the apostles. Paul and Barnabas were recommended to them as men who had hazarded Their lives for the Lord. Judas and Silas were sent with these apostles to declare to the Gentiles by word of mouth the decision of the council. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. The four servants of God were sent to Antioch with the epistle and message that was to put an end to all controversy, for it was the voice of the highest authority upon the earth. The council which decided this case was composed of apostles and teachers who had been prominent in raising up the Jewish and Gentile Christian churches, with chosen delegates from various places. Elders from Jerusalem and deputies from Antioch were present, and the most influential churches were represented. The council moved in accordance with the dictates of enlightened judgment and with the dignity of a church established by the divine will. As a result of their deliberations, they all saw that God himself had answered the question at issue by bestowing upon the Gentiles the Holy Ghost, and they realized that it was their part to follow the guidance of the Spirit. The entire body of Christians was not called to vote upon the question. The apostles and elders, men of influence and judgment, "'framed and issued the decree, "'which was thereupon generally accepted "'by the Christian churches. "'Not all, however, were pleased with the decision. "'There was a faction of ambitious "'and self-confident brethren who disagreed with it. "'These men assumed to engage in the work "'on their own responsibility. "'They indulged in much murmuring and fault-finding,' proposing new plans and seeking to pull down the work of the men whom God had ordained to teach the gospel message. From the first, the church has had such obstacles to meet and ever will have till the close of time. Jerusalem was the metropolis of the Jews, and it was there that the greatest exclusiveness and bigotry were found. The Jewish Christians... Living within sight of the temple naturally allowed their minds to revert to the peculiar privileges of the Jews as a nation. When they saw the Christian church departing from the ceremonies and traditions of Judaism and perceived that the peculiar sacredness with which the Jewish customs had been invested would soon be lost sight of in the light of the new faith, Many grew indignant with Paul as the one who had, in a large measure, caused this change. Even the disciples were not all prepared to accept willingly the decision of the council. Some were zealous for the ceremonial law, and they regarded Paul with disfavor because they thought that his principles in regard to the obligations of the Jewish law were lax. The broad and far-reaching decisions of the general council brought confidence into the ranks of the Gentile believers, and the cause of God prospered. In Antioch, the church was favored with the presence of Judas and Silas, the special messengers who had returned with the apostles from the meeting in Jerusalem. Being prophets also themselves, Judas and Silas, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. These godly men tarried in Antioch for a time. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. When Peter, at a later date, visited Antioch, he won the confidence of many by his prudent conduct toward the Gentile converts. For a time, he acted in accordance with the light given from heaven. He so far overcame his natural prejudice as to sit at table with Gentile converts. But when certain Jews who were zealous for the ceremonial law came from Jerusalem, Peter injudiciously changed his deportment toward the converts from paganism. A number of the Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. This revelation of weakness on the part of those who had been respected and loved as leaders left a most painful impression on the minds of the Gentile believers. The church was threatened with division. But Paul, who saw the subverting influence of the wrong done to the church through the double part acted by Peter, openly rebuked him, for thus disguising his true sentiments. In the presence of the church, Paul inquired of Peter, If thou, being a Jew, Livest after the manner of Gentiles, And not as do the Jews, Why compellest thou the Gentiles To live as do the Jews? Galatians two, thirteen and 14 Peter saw the error into which he had fallen. And immediately set about repairing the evil that had been wrought, so far as was in his power. God, who knows the end from the beginning, permitted Peter to reveal this weakness of character in order that the tried apostle might see that there was nothing in himself whereof he might boast. Even the best of men, if left to themselves, will err in judgment. God also saw that in time to come some would be so deluded as to claim for Peter and his pretended successors the exalted prerogatives that belong to God alone. And this record of the Apostle's weakness was to remain as a proof of his fallibility and of the fact that he stood in no way above the level of the other Apostle's. The history of this departure from right principles stands as a solemn warning to men in positions of trust in the cause of God that they may not fail in integrity but firmly adhere to principle. The greater the responsibilities placed upon the human agent and the larger his opportunities to dictate and control, the more harm he is sure to do if he does not carefully follow the way of the Lord and labor in harmony with the decisions arrived at by the general body of believers in united counsel. After all Peter's failures, after his fall and restoration, his long course of service, his intimate acquaintance with Christ, his knowledge of the Savior's straightforward practice of right principles, after all the instruction he had received, all the gifts and knowledge and influence he had gained by preaching and teaching the Word. Is it not strange that he should dissemble and evade the principles of the gospel through fear of man or in order to gain esteem? Is it not strange that he should waver in his adherence to right? May God give every man a realization of his helplessness, his inability to steer his own vessel straight and safe into the harbor. In his ministry, Paul was often compelled to stand alone. He was specially taught of God and dared make no concessions that would involve principle. At times, the burden was heavy. But Paul stood firm for the right. He realized that the church must never be brought under the control of human power. The traditions and maxims of men must not take the place of revealed truth. The advance of the gospel message must not be hindered by the prejudices and preferences of men, whatever might be their position in the church. Paul had dedicated himself and all his powers to the service of God. He had received the truths of the gospel direct from heaven, and throughout his ministry he maintained a vital connection with heavenly agencies. He had been taught by God regarding the binding of unnecessary burdens upon the Gentile Christians. Thus, When the Judaizing believers introduced into the Antioch church the question of circumcision, Paul knew the mind of the Spirit of God concerning such teaching and took a firm and unyielding position which brought to the churches freedom from Jewish rites and ceremonies. Notwithstanding the fact that Paul was personally taught by God, He had no strained ideas of individual responsibility. While looking to God for direct guidance, he was ever ready to recognize the authority vested in the body of believers united in church fellowship. He felt the need of counsel. And when matters of importance arose, he was glad to lay these before the church, and to unite with his brethren in seeking God for wisdom to make right decisions. Even the spirits of the prophets, he declared, are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. 1 Corinthians fourteen, thirty-two and 33 With Peter... He taught that all united in church capacity should be subject one to another.
1: Two paragraphs are worth rereading; They are from pages 193 and 194.
0: Peter told of his astonishment when, in speaking the words of truth, to those assembled at the home of Cornelius, he witnessed the Holy Spirit taking possession of his hearers, Gentiles as well as Jews. The same light and glory that was reflected upon the circumcised Jews shone also upon the faces of the uncircumcised Gentiles. This was God's warning that Peter was not to regard one as inferior to the other, for the blood of Christ could cleanse from all uncleanness. Peter's Address brought the assembly to a point where they could listen with patience to Paul and Barnabas, who related their experience in working for the Gentiles.
1: The author's name is Ellen G. White. Once again, the book is entitled, The Acts of the Apostles. Here are a few points to ponder and several questions to consider. Peter's vision has been explained to support the argument that the dietary laws of the Old Testament are no longer valid, specifically as justification for eating unclean meat. The meaning of the vision was clearly explained by Peter himself. I should not call any human common or unclean. Acts 10 verse 28 The vision was not, therefore, about diet, but about acceptance of other humans as God's children, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, occupation, or religion. Why, though, do people use this as an argument in regard to diet? We need to be very careful in how we handle Scripture. Let's revisit Romans 2, verses 14 to 16. We've already heard these verses from the Amplified Bible. This time we will hear the New Living Translation. Romans 2, verses 14-16 to say, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. How should we as a church relate to these verses in terms of missions? In other words, Why do we need to preach to people who have the law written in their hearts? Might one of the purposes for our preaching be to identify and acknowledge the source of instincts and conscience as being the Holy Spirit's wooing and to further pursue God's will for their life? We have also mentioned the Jerusalem Council. Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 35, as being a model for today's church. What are some specific things the Jerusalem Council did that provide a template for the church today? For instance, think about personal testimonies about witness, the role of the gospel, the role of scriptures, the role of missions, and how the people related to each other in the council. Okay, now let's listen to Acts 15 verses 1 through 35, this time from the New Living Translation. While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised, as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles, too, were being converted. When they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, The Gentile converts must be circumcised! and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles, so that they could hear the good news and belief. God knows people's hearts— and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are All saved the same way, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James stood and said, Brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted, as it is written, Afterward I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it, so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. All those I have called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Then the apostles and elders, together with the whole church in Jerusalem, chose delegates, and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report on this decision. The men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas also called Barsabbas and Silas. This is the letter they took with them. This letter is from the apostles and elders, your brothers in Jerusalem. It is written to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. We understand that some men from here have troubled you and upset you with their teaching. But we did not send them. So we decided, having come to complete agreement, to send you official representatives, along with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are sending Judas and Silas to confirm what we have decided concerning your question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. The messengers went at once to Antioch, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And there was great joy. Throughout the church, that day, as they read this encouraging message. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. So, in your church, will you encourage your church leaders to make regular opportunities for hearing personal testimonies about sharing Jesus? Will you express your desire to study the gospel and the scriptures? Will you actively participate in and support missions? And will you make it your habit to nurture your church family?
0: ambassadorgroup.org Thanks for listening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.